Good morning. Although that was beautifully read to us, really beautifully read to us, hands up anybody who understood that reading. <laughs> Sorry, for the sake of the tape, I'll say it was the reading was Amos chapter six. It is challenging. Um, and I think the first um, seven verses are slightly easier to grasp than the second half of the chapter. Originally, I was just going to talk on the second half, and it's like a statement halfway through, and it was really complicated. So, uh, and when you look at that passage in your Bible, you'll see there's lots of little tiny letters and annotations all the way through it. And that means that even the Bible translators have difficulty trying to work out exactly what it means. So you'll see slight differences between different translations of the Bible and ones that have been updated more, more recently. So, Amos, the farmer from Tekoa, and we're on chapter 6, The Pride of Israel. So we're on week 4 of the book of Amos. Um, hopefully it doesn't seem like a lifetime, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully there is the end in sight. Um, but we've looked at, I mean, Sam did an overview of the book at the beginning, and then uh, uh, Arthur was looking at Amos saying that God hates the way that the people of Israel are worshipping him, and that's worshipping in, in inverted commas, really, because they weren't really doing that at all. Um, and then Amos, uh, was from last week, we were looking at lamenting. Amos was saying that, saying that there is still time for people to recognise what they've got wrong, mm. to repent and confess. But still, the people of Israel didn't get it. They hadn't listened at all. The people were still complacent and arrogant in the way they were living. And that wasn't just the rich either. That talks about bringing down the, the big houses, but also the small houses, because even the poor were displaying all the wrong attitudes in life and were pinning their hopes on the wrong things. To be honest, when you look at the book of Amos, there's quite a bit of repetition and there's quite a lot of overlapping in topics. And we've divided them up when we were looking at you know, what we were going to talk week to week, but there's quite a lot of overlap. And that's really because the book is a collection of Amos's sermons, probably delivered, and, and it also is his visions and other things, but they were probably delivered over a period of 10 years or more. Um, so it was probably a bit like um, a protest group today. If they come back every year and say the same thing, you might listen the first time. Then afterwards, you're thinking, that's just Amos doing his thing again. We don't have to listen to him. It's boring. And so there's a lot of repetition in the book of Amos. So there is a, quite a bit of overlap. So the people really at this point have switched off and are, are not acting on what Amos has said earlier. But in this section of the book, Amos utters his most damning and frightening words yet. The people of Israel think they're safe, but they won't escape judgment because of who they think they are. God sees through all of that. So today we're here to talk about the pride of Israel. The people of Israel were very, very proud. They were very proud of who they were. They were, were very proud of their temple worship, and they were very proud of their military achievements. 
And it's interesting that we've chosen to do this reading today of all days, which is Remembrance Sunday, because some of this is about their military achievements. In terms of the identity of Israel, first of all, they, their identity as Jewish people was pinned to God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. I chose you, Israel, from among all the families on earth. They were very proud of that. Israel were meant to be a blessing to the whole earth. Um, the whole, But they also became very proud of themselves for other reasons. So they had this identity that said, you're special. And some 40 years earlier, Elisha had prophesied that they would become stronger and richer as a nation. And more recently than that, Jonah had also said they would be restored to glory as a nation. So now they felt they got what God was planning to give them all along. They felt that they were being blessed by God. Things were very comfortable um, for the rich at least. And wasn't this what Elisha and Jonah had promised? But God says, or Amos says, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. That means he's also talking to the southern kingdom of Judah as well. And to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. People were supposed to look to Israel as leaders in the world. But what Amos says, you've actually not delivered on what you were supposed to. You have, a, you have something to fulfill as part of this deal of being special people. You actually have special responsibility in this world. Um, they were meant to be a blessing to the whole earth, but the whole of their society had decayed to the point where they'd forgotten what God was all about. So what Amos says in verse 7, therefore... You are amongst the first, but you're going to be the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. And they, here Amos is talking about uh, the powerful Assyrian army which is coming towards them or moving towards them and uh, will, in a few years, um, take them into exile. These, is, the people of Israel were also... Um, very proud of their worship. Um, when the northern kingdom um, of Israel had been founded and split from the southern kingdom of Judah, they didn't have the access to the temple in Jerusalem. The kingdom, therefore, the northern kingdom, had two temples specifically built, and they were built to rival the one in Jerusalem. And the fact that they were built to rival means they were set up on the wrong basis. They were going to be better and more beautiful and everything. Um, and each of these, one of the first things they put into each of these was a golden calf. Now, you might remember the story about uh, uh, the golden calf uh, when the ch children of Israel were in the desert. And that set the tone. Um, and from then on, they then started worshipping more... Because the, the calf is actually... Um, uh, one of the Canaanite gods, it's to do with um, uh, harvest, etc. Um, they then started worshipping other gods, Asherah, An Anat, Baal. Um, so they faithfully turned up at their religious meetings. They were there, they were offering their proper offerings and doing this and doing that and looking and, uh, you know, being 
putting on their best clothes and um, being special in that way. Um, but God hated what they were doing. It wasn't the right way to worship. They weren't even worshipping the right thing. They weren't worshipping God himself. The gods they were worshipping were immoral themselves. So their worship didn't change them for the better. If anything, it made their behaviour worse. Their gods didn't demand anything of them. Whereas worship of the true God, um, the creator God, is synonymous with doing good. If you're in tune with God, then your relationships will flourish as much as they depend on you. You can't change everybody in the world, but you can try to, to, to make your relationships work. And what it says in chapter five, which Sam mentioned last week, is let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Because if you are in tune with the true God, then that is the result. That is, what, that is what changes the world around us. And true worship means that the focus is on God, not on ourselves. So the message for us today is when we're worshipping, it's not about how we're doing something and did I sing that song very well and does my voice sound good today and did I do well on when, I, when I did this and that and the other. The actual focus is on God and, what, and not on ourselves. But the... I mentioned this reading from uh, chapter 5 because in this uh, chapter that we're looking at now, Amos turns it around and said, you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into bitterness. Everything they were doing was wrong. Their motivation was wrong. That meant all their relationships were wrong as well. And they were also very proud of their military achievements. Uh, they, they felt like they were pretty important kids in the neighbourhood. They thought that they were really in charge of everything. Um, and Amos really cuts them down to size. Um, and this, these are the, the tricky bits of these things. But um, there's two verses in, the, uh, in this chapter of Amos. One says... Go to Kalna and look at it. Go from there to the great to Great Hamath, and then go to Gath in Philistia. Now we know from other writings, apparently, that this is a nationalistic song. This is the song that the Israeli the Israeli people used to sing to say, "We've beaten them. We've done that. We've beaten those. So we beat the people in Kalna. We went down to Hamath. We beat them. We went down to Gath in Philistia, and we beat them." Um, and what it doesn't say is that actually these cities were capital cities of tiny countries. Well, they were tiny kingdoms, really. So they were, they were worth nothing, really. Israel was a big fish in a tiny, tiny pond. And there's a much bigger expanse of water out there that they're part of. Um, so this nationalistic song, Amos is throwing back at them and saying, it's all rubbish, this, you, you've got nothing. And, oh, sorry. Um, and then that second bit there, you who rejoice in the conquest of Lodibar. Lodibar means not much. That's what it means. It means the actual place is so insignificant that it means not much. 
Um, so they're getting really carried away with how fantastic they are. They're ruling the roost. They think they're marvellous. Uh, the king's, you know, saying, you know, I've led you to great victories. And actually, this was nothing. And what the Lord knows, what Amos knows, because he's been listening to God. The Lord God Almighty declares, I will stir up a nation against you, Israel, that will oppress you all the way from Libo Hamath to the valley of the Arabah. They're complacent, um, but there is somebody bigger out there that is going to teach them a lesson. Um, they're not the, the, the most important people around, even though they think they are. And there were much more powerful enemies in the neighbourhood they didn't have a hope of beating. All very interesting, but so what? <laughs> what does that mean for us as we live our lives today? How do the prophecies of Amos still speak to us? <laughs> To say it's very pertinent today that it's Remembrance Day because the uh, people of Israel were glorying in their military conquests. And on Remembrance Day, we remember the horrors and the sacrifice of the war, the, the various wars that, that the, the, the world has been through. And as Sam said, wars are still going on today and the ones he mentioned are just some of them there's the ones that hit our news but there's wars in every continent um, and one of the things we have to realize is that pride can lead to war it's common for victors in war to humiliate their enemies And what happens is that leads to more war as nations seek revenge for their pride being dented, for the humiliation of their leaders and their people. It's an oversimplification. I used to share a house with someone who was um, uh, doing a PhD in war. So I, I know a lot of quotes, but um, he basically said, the Second World War was largely unfinished business from the First World War, the humiliation and the, the problems that had been suffered then. And the, world, and the First World War was unfinished business from the Franco-Prussian War, which was 50 years before that. And that pride, that pride that people wanted to defend at all cost, resulted in millions of people, both military and civilian, being slaughtered. I believe that national pride is a major factor in the war in Ukraine, and pride and revenge play their part in the current horrors that are happening on the Gaza Strip in Palestine. I'm not taking sides with anybody in particular, but this idea that we have to fight to the death and fight to the end is, is horrific when you think about it. From our, from our point of view, war may physically seem a long way away from us. It blasts into us from our television screens, our computer screens, our radios. Um, but what plays out on the world stage can also play out in our own neighbourhoods. I don't know if you've noticed, but people have the knack of being able to fight over anything. Children start off with this, don't you? Anybody, any of you that got a few kids, you know that children can fight about anything really and get cross with each other about pretty much nothing. Um, but people can fight over anything 
and the unhappiness that's caused in a neighbourhood can rumble on for years and people start taking sides um, and it can be boundary disputes. Fences are apparently a very common cause of, of, of arguments. Even use of wheelie bins, um, excessive noise. People can always find things to fight about. And some things we have to decide to let go of or try to try and find a better way of dealing with them. The only thing you can do really is do your part in trying to smooth over some of these things. Or a friend of mine, well, it's actually Claudia, said to me many years ago, um, not, not she, she was just talking about someone else. She wasn't talking to me, obviously. Um, but she was saying, people have to choose to take offence. You can choose whether you take offence at something or not. You can decide. And uh, that then determines how you then behave. So perhaps uh, to choose not to take offence about things that perhaps weren't meant in a harmful way is um, uh, the best way forward. This is a dried up riverbed in Australia. If I'd, if I'd had more time and been more organised, we could have shown you the video because it's quite something. You can see right at the back of there, this is the dried up riverbed here and it's been dry for months. And you can see water starting to come down from that and it actually gushes straight down. And you'll notice that black bit at the front is um, the initial wave of water which carries a load of rubbish with it and then the whole thing just sweeps in. And um, it, this isn't actually the same river, but you get the idea. Because mm -hmm. um, <laughs> the person taking this video didn't actually continue it so we could see what the final thing was. Um, but the thing about um, justice, which rolls on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. It's all about taking water to a dried-up riverbed. It's all about just changing the environment. And once justice starts rolling on like a river, and it takes away all this rubbish that's at the front of, the, of, of in that front wave there, there's all sorts of stuff there. And once the rubbish is out of the way and the water becomes clear, then everything on the banks of the river starts to flourish. Life, well-being and beauty return. And more and more of the landscape is affected as things spread out and goodness spreads out from the river, the more established it becomes. And that's the picture that Amos gives us when he says, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. It's the transformation of the dried up riverbed to something which is full of life, full of vitality and works well, where people are happy, people are content, people have peace um, and everyone has what they need. To get to that point when the, when the uh, water flows on like a river, we have to acknowledge what we've got wrong. We have to clear away that rubbish in that first um, wave that's coming through. We have to accept our part in things that haven't quite gone as we would have wanted them to. Um, and the other thing we have to do, um, so it's confessing what we have done wrong, whether you confess it to just to God or to someone else, um, just remember when you're telling God about it, he already knows. So you're not telling him something he doesn't know. Um, but you have to confess to God and you have to you can confess to other people and get rid of that rubbish. And then, and only then, can you worship God in the right spirit. And once you can worship God in the right spirit, you can then do something about it. Proper worship of God doesn't stop at the doors of the building that you're worshipping in. 
Um, I can't remember where we saw it, but the, um, we've been in a church before which said your ministry starts here, actually on the door as you leave. Um, and I think that that's true. And God's kingdom, which is what... So when we when we worship God in the right spirit, when we've confessed our, the things that we've got wrong, we worship God in the right spirit, we try to move on and get things to put in the right way in our, uh, in our neighbourhoods. Um, we then ooze out into the world around us. We take the kingdom of God with us wherever we go. God's kingdom is where justice flows like a river. Now, funnily enough, somebody else we know also said something akin to this. Um, and Jesus actually mentioned it. one of the things that I find fascinating when you read the Bible is the Bible was written down by lots of different people. There were lots of people who wrote different things, just like Amos wrote this bit down. And yet the basic themes of the Bible continue all the way through. And you can see it in Jesus actually is continuing the theme of Amos and the, uh, quite a number of the other Old Testament prophets. Um, when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Jesus knew that unless you love God, unless you worship him properly and actually give yourself to God, then you can, it's so difficult to love your neighbour. God has been giving us the same message for thousands of years. And many of the prophets in the OT, as in the Old Testament, are on the same page as Amos when you look, but we still manage to ignore it, just as the people of Israel were managing to ignore the prophets. They liked the ones that said you're going to do well and didn't like the ones that said you're not going to do well at all if you don't get right with God. But by the same token, Jesus said um, you have to be right with God to be right with your neighbour, but unless you're right with your neighbour, you're not right with God. It's it's two things that are opposite sides of the same coin. coin. And um, the, I think the children were doing the Good Samaritan last week, I think, weren't they? And that, who is your neighbour? Who's your neighbour? The first person you see. Yeah. Well, it's the first, it could be the first person you see. It's everybody, isn't it? What Jesus said is everybody is your neighbour. You can't say, well, the woman in Tesco, she's not my neighbour, actually. No, I don't mind. can't get on with her. Um, it's everybody. And the thing about this is when Jesus said, love God, love your neighbour, he didn't think, well, that's going to be a doddle. It's going to go swimmingly for them. Everything's going to be fine. Jesus knew it wasn't going to be easy. Our neighbours are different to us in many different ways, all sorts of different ways. They do things differently. They see things differently. They believe different things. When Jesus said, love your neighbour, he knew it wasn't going to be a walk in the park, really. It could be a way of meeting them, but it wasn't going to be easy. It was going to be challenging. So let's just, we, we've got um, uh, the next song we're going to look at is, we're going to just listen to it. It's on video. And it's a Graham Kendrick song, and it's based on justice flowing like a river, that, that part of scripture that we've just been reading. And I think it's just an opportunity just to think about any stuff that we need to put right in our lives and in our relationships. 
just a time, it's a reasonably long song and it's quite quiet, so you can just think about the stuff that's going wrong either in your own particular area or the world, if you like. Um, because there's no hope for the world if we can't love the people that are around us. Because that's how wars start. That's how wars start. So while we're listening to this, uh, there's the mercy seat is available uh, for prayer, or you can re remain um, sitting and wherever you're sitting and pray and get down to some business with God about stuff that's not quite right. Amen. Lord, thank you so much, spiritual darkness. We also see you.